what we're seeing now is that there's a lot of jobs but people aren't necessarily rushing back to work. DE&I is, is not something that needs to be fixed. It's a lifestyle. It's a commitment. This is the Work in Sports Podcast. Here's VP of Content and Engage Learning at WorkInSports.com, Brian Clapp. Almost 390 episodes into the Work in Sports Podcast, and we're trying something a little different. Two guests, two all-time great guests together on one show. In 2021, one of my goals, one of the things I set for myself, a standard that I set, was that I wanted to be more of a connector in the industry. I have met many amazing people from my career in the sports media and even more amazing people from hosting this podcast. So I made it this simple goal to say after each interview I conduct, who can I connect that person with that makes sense for both parties? I want to be a connector in the industry by asking honestly and authentically how can I bring my worlds together in a truly beneficial way? To be transparent, the idea is great. My execution has been poor. I have connected a few people and it's gone really well, but far from the consistency I imagined. No one is perfect. I'll take it easy on myself, but that's the goal. I'm going to continue to work on that. Nonetheless, today you are in for a treat because I brought together two of my favorites for this episode. And as predicted, they are amazing together. John Ferguson is the VP of People and Culture at Monumental Sports and Entertainment. And Callie Franklin is the SVP, Head of Talent and Recruiting for Overtime Elite. I've had podcast interviews with each of them individually and loved the conversation. The idea to fuse them together into one conversation, dare I say, was brilliant. We originally built this to be bonus content to be released after our job recovery summit at Hashtag Sports, which was an amazing conference. But this was too good to hold back. I want to push this out there for everybody. They are amazing together. I barely even needed to be there. Like they started talking with one another. I didn't even need to kind of pivot in there at all. Check it out. Here are John and Callie. So these panels we tend to host at the job recovery summit, as part of hashtag sports tend to go by super fast. We had this idea, we'd create some bonus content and bring back some of our favorite panelists to have an in-depth conversation. So John Ferguson and Callie Franklin join me now. Hey, hey. Thanks guys for being here. Yes, happy to be here. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Thanks for keeping us. Yes. Yeah, exactly. This is this is fun where we get to dive into things. And one of the themes I really wanted to dig into was workplace culture. So John, we'll start with you a little bit. I read a quote from a CEO recently who said, a great culture wins out over a great strategy every time. So as the VP of people and culture, clearly culture is important. It's in your title, right? So it's obviously an important thing. Do you agree with that concept that culture is so important to a high-functioning team? And if so, how do you go about it? How do you really develop a winning culture? Uh, So I have to say I agree with the quote. I think that culture definitely uh, trumps strategy simply because the strategy is great, but I think strategy is much more singular. Uh, it's like, this is the outcome, but how do you get to that outcome? And I think culture is what drives you to the outcome. It's like a mission. It's like a calling. And when you think about our organizations, we have you know, various nuances that make us all different. Just like a family has its own communication style. Same thing happens inside of an organization. Uh, so the longer you've been there, the greater you understand the nuances, the greater you understand who to go to to get something done at the last minute or who should you bounce ideas off so that you can fast track something. So strategy cannot be accomplished unless you have the culture. And when you look at culture, you're going to think about some of the things such as your core capabilities. Uh, and that is sort of how you do business. And then along that, you're going to look at how does that help us increase our competitive advantage? And so I think when you look at your core capabilities, have that tied into the culture and the nuances of how you do business, how business is conducted, that leads to the execution of the strategy, which then increases your competitive advantage. Uh, we all are working in sports. So, hey, we always want to be competitive, but we also, you know, nothing against anyone else. But we want to be better than the person to the left and to the right of us. So I think that the culture is definitely what allows us to do that. And I think when you have organizations that may be struggling in culture, you will start to notice that in some of their outcomes. Uh, So I definitely think culture is important. It's really what unites people. It's really the thing that um, makes people stay because in sports, we're working a lot of long hours. You talked about my title. So uh, vice president, people and culture. 
we rebranded ourselves from HR just to be very focused on that. The people that we attract and retain. And guess what we put? The culture. The culture is what keeps them coming back day in and day out. Uh, so that, again, is what drives strategy. So if you don't have the culture, you ultimately cannot execute that strategy. And we know that strategy is all good, and uh, but it's not good unless it's executed. So uh, I definitely agree with the quote. Callie, I saw you nodding your head a lot in there. I sure am. I'm over here. You're <laughs> preaching to the choir over here. So I, I completely agree with you. Strategy is great. It's, it's a good con- concept. It's theoretical. It typically takes time, <clears throat> but culture requires the people. And I was always told that you take care of your people, your people take care of your business. Yes. And that's what the culture part kind of influences is you can have great ideas. You can have a super um, experienced leadership team who can put together an amazing project plan. But if you don't have the people to help execute the plan, it, it won't work. And if your culture, as you mentioned, John, is flawed or if there are some symptoms of some issues that need to be addressed, it doesn't matter what you do with this group of people, you're still not going to get to that strategy. So it's kind of making sure you don't put the um, cart in front of the horse or right. cart behind the horse, wherever it goes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it's it's one of those things that it is so important to the health of a business. And that's when, you know, oftentimes people talk about HR and say, oh, it's soft skills. You know, how do you measure HR? Measuring of HR is the health of the business. Mm-hmm. And as John mentioned, it's how many people are coming, how many people are leaving, how long are they staying? Mm-hmm. Are there developmental opportunities? Is there any movement internally? So all of those are good signs of strong cultures. Um, and the strategy is just, quite frankly, if you put an amazing team together and you've got a healthy, strong, collaborative culture, the strategy becomes less important. Because yeah. people are wanting to move and work together. People are cross-collaborating in other departments. So it is absolutely a spot-on um, quote. I've heard it a lot as well. Take care of your people. Yes. They'll take care of your business. It's amazing, too, when you've been on both sides of it, where you've been hiring and trying to make a culture, or you've been an employee trying to be a part of a company. Yeah. You know it when you see it. You know a good culture, and you've been a part of a bad one. It, it becomes such a, a differentiator out there. Callie, I want to come back to you. You have a really daunting task right now. Uh, I saw recently where you posted you're hiring 40 open positions at Overtime Elite. Uh, congratulations on that move, by the way. Thank you. New brand, new startup, new culture, new everything, right? Yes. So how do you ensure when you're hiring that many people and doing that much work that you don't forget that culture and you make sure the pieces fit together and everybody works and functions as a team. How do you, I mean, I'm hiring for four roles right now and my head's spinning. You got 40 that you're hiring? That's crazy. It is. And 40 is not even the whole number. We have taken on a a mountain of a task by disrupting the current uh, processes by which people make it. Yeah, you are. Yes, the NCAA (laughs) to the NBA. So we're disrupting that and we're doing something really exciting and we're moving fast. So the culture part is so important when you're moving fast, because if you don't, everyone just takes off and they go in their own direction. And there are a tremendous amount of silos and people put their head down and they do what they know best. Um, you don't always get that diversity of thought. You, always, you don't get you know, people who challenge you and ask difficult questions that make projects that much better. So when we're taking on such a, a large workload, you have to align. Like one of the most important pieces in the HR function is you have to plan your work. There is a tendency sometimes in our position is we're we're constantly moving. We're juggling, especially in the generalist. And I know John Mm. would understand this. In that generalist capacity, you're just keeping the balls in the air. (laughs) But if you don't take the time to step back and plan the work, what are we trying to accomplish? What, what is the vision of this organization? What is the purpose of this organization? And how do we identify and find people that also are motivated similarly? So one thing I like to do, and you'll notice on the job descriptions, we post all of our job descriptions on LinkedIn, is I always open it up with, come join the team. We're looking for passionate people. Mm-hmm. Because I think passion is something that you can't teach or you can't buy. You set the stage I, right away. Yeah. Yes. And and John can tell you, when you're in the sports world, you, you get a lot of, and we've talked about this, Brian, a lot of sports oh, yeah. fanatics. Yes. I would prefer a passion fanatic. I would prefer someone who is passionate about cat grooming 
or crocheting or, you know, just I'm something. passionate about all those things, Callie. <laughs> no wonder we get along so well. But just pick something because it's that fire in the belly that is what creates amazing, motivated team members. It's not always, you don't have to be motivated by the, the sport of basketball. You could be motivated by many other things to be uh, impactful in our environment. So the numbers, you can't get distracted by the number of people. You've got to identify the profile. What are we mm-hmm. looking for? And even though it's a different department, there's some um, inherent characteristics that you're looking for. You're looking for intellectually cur- curious people. You're looking for people that ask questions that are comfortable, as we mentioned, failing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell me about a time you failed. You're looking for people that just, they don't have to have their life figured out but they have to know some of the experiences they're looking to collect. Like, hey, I'm interested in this, and I'm wondering if I take this detour, if it'll add to my you know, toolkit and set of experiences. So I would, I would say in my current situation, we're actually hiring closer to 70 people over the next 90 oh, days. <laughs> yes. Um, and I was originally overwhelmed by that. But then once you step back and figure out what we're trying to accomplish, who we are as a team, bring the leaders together, and establish some rhythms, it turns into a, a little machine. That's cool. So that, that, that'd be my approach. John, what about you? Yeah, so so interesting. You said all close to 70, we are similar to being in the same bucket of having uh, roughly 60 plus jobs open right yeah. now. You know, for us here in DC, uh, we just started getting increased capacity for fans. So we went from 10% to 25% to 50%. Now, uh, and with that, we we need to start getting people back in the workplace, back to work. Uh, yeah. So definitely understand the grind there. One thing you talk about passion. For me, I always have a quote that I learned in my early stages of my career, hire the attitude and train the skill. It goes back to you can't teach passion, but you can't teach oh, attitude. I like that. Uh, I'm writing that so, down. So no, it's, it's one that I go by. And I think the higher you grow an organization, of course, you have to have some technical skill. But the attitude is what opens the door. The attitude is your brand. Um, and I think that's what I'm really attracted to. I really want to get to the meat and potatoes. Like, who are you outside of your resume? Uh, what what makes you tick? And another piece that that really stands out to me is preparation, because we're all experiencing something new. Uh, I was speaking to a colleague the other day, and they said, "Hey, I try to get away from the phrase of let's get back to normal, and I'm really just working on getting back to things that are familiar." And with that, I think in doing that practice, you have to start making sure that you're preparing, because we as recruiters, as HR professionals. We're using new technology. Our candidates are using new technology. And you can tell when someone just kind of hopped on that video interview versus the person who really went through the the various testing stages of the candidate process to make sure their lighting is good, to make sure their camera is steady. Uh, You can tell a difference in it, and it shows up. Uh, So I encourage everyone, preparation. Just take a couple extra minutes. Get used to the technology. Get used to the tools in place. uh, And sort of, you know, I don't want to say rehearse, but, you know, have some thoughts put together as you're going into the space. So it's definitely a good time for sports uh, because there's tons of movement. And I think if we did it, if we weren't on this side of the pandemic, uh, sports in some ways, you know, that top top layer of, 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 of executives uh, and sort of that middle management was sort of like people were in good spots. They weren't looking to leave. But what we have seen here is there's been a shakeup all across leagues, teams, yeah. industries. And so with that, there's a lot of opportunity to grow. And I think sometimes in sports, people felt stagnant. But right now, there's a big there's a big jump around that's happening, and I'm, I'm excited to see what happens on the other side of that. And I think it's also important that we continue to innovate uh, as a result. So, John, I want to stick with you for a second. According to a study, this blew me away. According to a study by the New York Times, 86% of workers were satisfied working from home with only one in five wanting to go back to the office full time. Now, in sports, it's a different world. We have it events. Is. We have things you have to be there for. But... I mean, how much does that inform us of we, the employers, having to adjust a little bit based on what our employers want and need and maybe create some avenues for people to have a hybrid experience or something along those lines? Like how much is are we as an industry having to say, what can we do? Correct. So I, I definitely agree we're in an in events-based business where I like to call it a handshake business. But with that, we are in a great migration in the workforce. This is beyond sports. I think this is probably a global reach. People have had time to sit at home and essentially we were grieving because everything that we knew as normal no longer existed. And with that, what do you do? You start to reflect. You look internal. You're like, what? What is my passion? 
What do I like to do? What is bringing me joy when I can't go outside and I'm stuck in a house with a with a four and a six year old all day and I'm, you know doing all my school? <laughs> you noticing my gray hair right now? You I think it's from the last year with all three kids home. <laughs> well, you notice I have no hair, so we both we both <laughs> got an outcome there. Uh, but with that, we're at a a crossroads of, and I think for HR professionals and industries in the workplace uh, together, this is a moment where we could do something different. This is a moment where we continue to innovate. And if we don't if we don't capitalize on this moment, I don't think we we're going to see this type of shift uh, available to us in my lifetime. So right now, what do we want to do with this big opportunity that we have? So I talked about getting back to normal, but let's get back to what's familiar. And I have to mm-hmm. say, over the past year, what became familiar to me was the flexibility that was afforded to work from home. I'm not going to lie. I was hesitant like prior to the pandemic. Working from home, eh, I just like my setup. I, I just had my rhythm. That was what I liked. Yeah. But now, you know, we came home. Guess what? You thought it was going to be a week, maybe a month. Next thing you know, it's six months. Now it's a whole year. In a year, guess what? We have all established new habits. And with that, we have to be able to figure out create, creative ways in which we can drive business outcomes, but also support our employees, our colleagues, and our staff in that process. It's going to take some 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 trial and error. You know, we can't be afraid to fail. But I think if we start to pivot and look at, OK, how can we make uh, shift our philosophy to being an outcome based business um, and continue to increase revenue? I think then it becomes less on where we're doing it from and it becomes more focused on how we're getting it, uh, you know, the outcome, the result of the work. So I think we need to keep that in mind and capitalize on the moment. It's going to be interesting uh, I think sports is one industry where we probably can't go to 100% remote, but I think right. I would encourage everyone to sit back and be open to the opportunity to explore what that may look like for your department, for your organization, uh, and also talk to your peers across the industry. Because guess what? It's the million-dollar question that we're all trying to deal with. I've done a thousand surveys with different teams and leagues. What are you thinking about doing? What are you thinking about doing? It sounds like everyone's in this sort of flex spot uh, between now and Labor Day. And then many are saying, well, we're going to cross that Labor Day bridge when we get there. Yeah. But it's not that far out. And so I think what we don't hear now, which is a benefit, is we don't hear the naysayers, the the status quo. I might refer to them as the old guard. They're not as loud because if we didn't have the disruption of the pandemic, they definitely would have said this is how we do business. But right. the disruption of the pandemic prove that there are other ways in which we can approach this work and still be effective. Uh, So with that, it's going to take a lot of uh, effort from our people leaders, too, because you talked about culture. I need to make sure that we can understand how do we balance that if I have a hybrid workforce. Uh, One of the things that I think that you have to be consistent with there is that when you're having team meetings, especially if you're going to have people in and out of the office, depending on the landscape, is that you just stick to the, the, the Teams chat or the Zoom for those larger body meetings. That way, no one's losing an edge because they weren't able to come in that day or this was their day outside of the office. But I think with this, there's greater, there's greater sort of focus mm-hmm. uh, in those meetings. But one thing I did observe and a, and a colleague shared that they went back in and they had an in-person meeting. It was like, oh, it has been so long since we, had, since we did this. She's like, but it felt easier to be collaborative in person. And this was interesting. I hadn't experienced it just for myself because on a Zoom platform, if I want to say, hey, Brian, I have something like I got to unmute myself and it's kind of that yeah. weird, like I'm trying to get a comment in. <laughs> and so you have that. It's a harder disruption per se. And I don't know if disruption yeah. is the right word, but she said when you're in the room, it's easy to say, hey, that sounds great. And it's not such a let me unmute myself a couple of mm-hmm. steps to integrate and to collaborate. So I thought that was interesting. So I think there's some pros and cons to both. Uh, but I do think the this great migration that's not going to happen, you know, today, it's not going to happen in the next 60 days. But over the next couple of years, we're going to start to see a lot of people shifting to different industries. And what we're seeing now is that there's a lot of jobs, but people aren't necessarily rushing back to work because they've either started something entrepreneurial or they know and they've honed in on where they really want to be. So, so Callie, I'm curious to see what are your thoughts there on the great migration. But it's, it's definitely something that we're all... Uh, wrestling with. It's so very true, especially in the HR function. Because we've never gone through this, um, you're trying to figure out who owns this, who's responsible for responding to the team about these requests. And I think maybe about five, six months in, you kind of defaulted to the president, the CEO, like you make the decision when we're coming back. So it makes me think about a few things. Um, Personally, I have decided that 
it would be silly for us not to learn from what we've experienced over the past 16 months. Mm-hmm. I like what you mentioned, John, when you, you say that, you know, people were grieving. People have changed their habits and their processes and their rhythms over the past 16 months. But if you really dig into the question, a lot of it is not about location. It's what you were mentioning. It's the flexibility. It's what they've been doing in that time that used to be an hour and a half commute Mm -hmm. that used to be, well, let me just get into work to knock out these emails. Like I value the fact that now my days end at six. Nobody's scheduling meetings at 630. No one's, I haven't seen a, at least on my schedule, a 730 a.m. meeting in the longest time because people realize that what was so important to us in that time when we had nothing and everyone Mm -hmm. was scared and nervous about continued employment Family, friends, relationships, faith, those are the things that were holding us together. So when you think about a lot of these employees that don't want to come back into the business, they're scared that they're going to lose all of that Mm. because their last memory of being fully plugged in was three-hour commutes. You know, I was in New York for 18 months. People literally commute from Philadelphia to New York City. It's insane. And then even, I mean, Atlanta again, in Atlanta, you, the suburbs, it'll take you 45 minutes in traffic. And yeah. just the, the impact of that on your psyche is, is one thing. And then your family, they're the ones who end up missing out. You, you miss the concerts, you miss the, the girls' dinners, you miss the Sunday brunches because you're constantly thinking about work. So the second thing I want to throw in there is the importance that the people in a leadership position, whether it's people, culture, HR, talent and recruiting, whoever is responsible for the soul of the business, we all need to demonstrate some courage. Mm -hmm. And we need to be able to speak up for the masses of people and, and, and what's going on in their minds because our business leaders are doing just what they've done. Mm -hmm. They've been successful in the past. And that meant we were here. We were in the office. I knew everybody was in the building. But to your point, John, collaboration doesn't require proximity. Mm -hmm. Relationships require proximity. Yeah. But collaboration, I was lucky enough. um, I was not one of the naysayers of working from home. I spent five years of my life in a remote work environment. Wow. So when everything hit the fan and we were, were bound to our homes, I knew immediately what this looked like. A lot of people were like, oh, I get to chill. I'm like, oh, no. No. When you work (laughs) from home, you work more. Yeah, you do. (laughs) You go grocery shopping in the middle of the day, but you definitely (laughs) are sending emails after dinner. Yes. So it was that kind of, it was people, as you mentioned, adjusting. But to me, like, let's have the conversation. Why are people hesitant? Mm -hmm. There are a lot of reasons that they're hesitant. Some people are hesitant with, you know, public transportation and they just don't trust that everybody else is doing their part. It's not really the work environment, but I can tell you, I am happy. I remember the days of sitting in an office and being in a building because that's what you were supposed to do. Not Mm -hmm. because that's where you were being useful or productive, but this is an eight hour shift. So you, you, you leave at four. Well, if I'm on the computer and I'm taking Zoom Google Meets meetings for four hours, I could be more comfortable and productive at home. I could miss traffic and I could come in after. So you mentioned in some of our positions and roles, it's not possible. It's not possible for you not to go to work. But we saw that during the pandemic with the first responders. Yeah. What I've learned in all of this, it's not a one size fits all. Mm -hmm. If you reflect to 18 months ago, we were treating life like a one size fits all. Mm -hmm. This is what success looks like. This is what motivation looks like. And what has shifted, as you mentioned, it has broken into pieces is that's not what success looks like. Mm-hmm. Focus on results, as you said, those mm-hmm. outputs. Yes. One, one thing I'll add there is also I think both parties have to extend grace because I don't want to say it's a battle, but we're definitely seeing that like like management, HR and everyone else trying to figure out, you know, are we going to get this flexibility? Let's let's flow. Let's extend yeah. grace. Let's lower the waterline. Let's be a little more transparent about it. like, well, hey, let me tell you what has happened for me and my family over the past year and how just that whole structure and dynamic has pivoted a bit. And so for me to immediately come back to working 40 hours in the office, let me tell you what I need and how can we find some middle ground? How can we reach a win-win solution? Uh, and, I, and I think you have some employees who are like, well, I just want to be 100% remote. That, I do not believe that is going to happen right. in sports. So I want everyone to be real with themselves there. But I also want employers to understand 
where can we afford that flexibility? Yeah. Uh, especially when you work in an industry of sports, when you're working some really long mm-hmm. days. I don't need to come in at 9 a.m. like we used to and work till midnight, 1 a.m. because there was triple o- mm-hmm. overtime. So let's let's be mindful of that and figure out where can we strike a balance. I'm a firm believer in like, let's try it. If it doesn't work, we can't say that we didn't try it. And specifically, when you look at, you know, different roles such as revenue generation, some of these, there's many ways we can be innovative here. So maybe that becomes an incentive. Maybe that becomes uh, something that that is a, a reward uh, for reaching whatever benchmarks that need to be achieved. OK, so if my top sellers are constantly hitting their numbers, well, hey, there's a, bu- a bank of X number of work from home days that you're now able to utilize. Because, again, we want to drive the cool outcome. Idea. We have business. We have to generate revenue. So how do yeah. we do that? Uh, so there's a lot of different ways to do it. And I just want to remind both parties to be open, to be flexible with each other, but also to extend some grace. And my biggest thing is let's try it. That's what I tell folks. Let's try it. And from from a, from a management perspective, if we're able to try it, then the employee, then the, then our colleagues can't say, well, they didn't even want yeah. to hear it. No, let's try it. Because I'm telling you, these are the outcomes that we need to achieve if we're going to go this route. And then the ball is in their mm-hmm. court. As the staff, the generator, the revenue generators, whatever the outcome needs to be done, the ball's in their court and they know what they need to achieve. And then if whatever reason we just can't get it to click, then we just can have that conversation say, look, we tried, but this is the better model to drive the outcomes that we need. How else can we accommodate some flexibility in your day? So maybe it's not a full work from home day, but we we adjust our, our hours in the office to accommodate lighter commutes. So versus getting here at nine, we shift to 10. So your three hour commute went to 30 minutes, yeah. maybe, or it went to an hour. Uh, so I, I think there's there's a lot Creative of opportunity solutions. here. And we, yep. yes, and we would be foolish if we didn't innovate, because when we had the last uh, pandemic, the Spanish flu, I believe, around that time frame, one of the big innovations out of that, and I don't have it here, was the solo cup. Back then, everyone drank out of the same 10 cups. So of course, <laughs> you did your research for this conversation. Spreading. I love it. Yes. But 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 of course the flu was spreading like wildfire because the three of us would be drinking out the same cup and it's like well I don't want to get sick but we just shared a cup so then they came up with disposable cups I don't know about you guys but I keep a red cup in my hand over the summer months you know I'm at someone's cookout or a barbecue it's attached with Velcro on your hand exactly so with that let's figure out how we can be just as creative here and I, because guess what we're doing it for our clients. Oh, the, the, the ticketing process of going, you know, many stadiums and arenas are going cashless. You know, it was interesting for me today. We were traveling and I saw we went to McDonald's. You know, you can order on the app. You can order at the kiosk in the uh, in the in the restaurant. You don't really have to go to the cashier anymore to place your order verbally. But when I was in there, I saw a group of individuals that were deaf and I just it clicked for me like, wow, all of this technology made it much more easier for them to come in here and sort of self-serve themselves. They didn't have to go up and, and, and I don't not sure how they would have done it previously, but they could go in and kick it in on the kiosk. They could put it on their phone and they could get their order. And I thought right there that is just opening access and opportunity to those that may not have been afforded that previously. I love this. I love that. And it dovetails perfectly into the next topic I want to dig into. And so, Callie, we'll come back to you. Mental health plays such a big role in culture as well. And I think it has a, a very important moment on stage right now. We're seeing a lot of top level athletes saying publicly, I need a break. I don't want to be in front of everybody. I don't want to be under the pressure. I like playing my game. I don't like maybe all the other things. And they're being more vocal about it. But it also applies to every one of us that's a, that's a worker, whether we're executive level or entry level. When I first came up in the industry, it was this whole concept of embracing the grind. And it, you had to have it. And it means you're willing to work crazy long hours and come in the next morning at, at 6 a.m. You know, and that, that was a definition of accomplishment. That was a definition of success and not complaining and grind it out. When we think about it through the lens of mental health, is that a major area that we need to totally pivot and change our sentiment and approach? I definitely think it is. I think that what we are seeing now, since we were talking about results, is the result of that mentality that you were speaking about. Um, People are, and just a small amount of people, are comfortable coming out and being vocal and speaking about it. I think everyone is going through something. Yeah. Now, what that something is and how it's impacting you um, might be very different. But with so much stimulation in the world, whether it's television, social media, interacting with people, we have so much going on. And when I look at our, our younger, the Generation Z, 
the ones who have not socialized the same way I was raised. Hey, go outside, go find something to do with your friends. I now sit around my 13-year-old niece and exactly, her and her friend are on, on TikTok. Yes. That's kind of their bonding moment, doing a TikTok dance together. So I think that that is I mean, all... it is kind of fun. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> go ahead. Maybe for a short period of time, but not for... No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, that's the whole activity. So I think mental health is the result and, and the the issues and concerns that people are having is the result of just unhealthy management of oneself, of one's yeah. feelings, one's emotions. Um, being vulnerable for so long has been not cool. Mm-hmm. I remember being raised up a female leader. Don't you cry at work. I don't care what, don't you cry at work because the men in the room will never respect you again. I remember being told that as a a middle manager and I've cried at work, but what I was told, you go in, go in the bathroom, get yourself together and come back out. Now I think that applies to men and women and it doesn't Mm -hmm. really matter, but instead of explaining what they were trying to share with me, I took it as face value. Now Mm -hmm. I know that means remain in control. It's not about crying. Come on. It's about remaining in control. Process what you can. Mm -hmm. Collect yourself. Take pauses and breaks and deep breaths when you need to. But we've all been in a situation when we're getting a tough message or delivering one where you either, you start to, your breath starts getting shorter. Pause. And it's okay to pause. I, I mean, I think that it's sad most recently that there has been some some kickback when some recent sports, um, what do we want to call role models, mm-hmm. have expressed concerns. But where's the empathy? Correct. Yeah. If someone's telling you they're having a hard time, they shouldn't have to prove it to you. Mm-hmm. You should listen and you should figure out how you can, as you mentioned, how do I meet you where you are? How can I give you that break? Is it, you know, changing um, your routine to report to work in the morning? Is it like, let's talk about this. And quite frankly, almost all employers now have EAPs and some type of mental health services that'll give you an opportunity to talk someone outside of the organization and confidentially. So I think it is very real. I think it is so real that it's happening with more people than they admit to. Um, And I think that it is across several generations now. You now have mature adults who have struggled with expressing their feelings Mm -hmm. and emotions. And now we're raising up a generation who doesn't quite understand how to do that either. So I think it is something that is a responsibility. If your people are not healthy, your business is not healthy. Goes back to the take care of your people. Goes back to culture. Yeah, it goes back to culture. So to me, it absolutely is a a must. And I know you can say the same in your business. Yes. Well, one one thing that, that I always resonate and go back to the grieving of 2020 and leading in the first part of 2021, some of us still are is the simple fact that I had to make sure that as an HR professional that I had secured my oxygen mask. What do they say on the airplane? Secure your mask first. I had to make sure I was good because I can't be good for my colleagues, my family, or my coworkers if I'm not good. So when you're looking at social justice movements, you're looking at a pandemic, that was a lot to process. That was a whole lot to process. So I had to make sure that I was good because guess what? As an HR professional and in most industries, we are our greatest asset. If I can't physically show up, then I physically cannot do my job. And so one thing that I've been, you know, what you were talking about, Callie, is really emotional intelligence. You know, the the don't cry, you know, stay control. That's all emotional intelligence. But also with that, that is not only self-awareness, but that is social awareness and understanding your team and treating them as people and humans. I believe in let's lower this waterline. So if I'm in a meeting and it's the three of us and I notice that for whatever reason, Brian, your energy's off today. Let's let's finish our meeting. But as a good leader, a good people leader, I'm going to circle back to you after the meeting. Yeah. Hey, Brian, just wanted to check in and see how things are going. Um, and just kind of open it up low, lightly um, and then go from there. And another fast way you can kind of check is I say, hey, let's do a quick post check one to five. One being I'm just not in it today and five being like, is it brunch time? So like, let's let's have a mimosa. And so I, I do that with my team just to understand where they are in that space. And sometimes we'll kick off meetings that way because then I can understand what is the energy in the room. Because sometimes 
It would, you know, I have to elevate my energy to make sure that I can help elevate my team. Or there may be times I need to read the room and say, you know what, let's try to shorten this meeting as much as possible because people have a lot of other demands that they're dealing with today. Let's make sure that this time is effective. And there's other days where we may linger and socialize a little bit more, but just being aware and keeping pulse. And I think what we've seen over the past year, because we have, uh, we don't have the same ability to sort of read body language as much, um, is that I just have to ask, you know, let's do a post check. One to five, where are you at today? If you're two, well, hey, what can I do? to help you yeah how can we elevate that to a three or two or four or hey do you need to take some time off or take some time offline just so you can get everything situated because i know there's a lot going on there's been plenty of days where i you know you know my wife is at home i'm at home and, and the internet oh don't let the internet go out jeez we're, we're we're all struggling at that point <laughs> because i have a four to six year old who are saying it's not working and they don't understand like one second i'm trying to fix it they're just like but i can't yeah. get onto my class and so, and then you, you know, you just dropped out of a meeting. So having grace, but lowering that waterline. And I think there's been a, I think there's been more of that in the pandemic simply because I've been from home. So you might have seen a a very excited six year old come in here, and I'm like, can you please give me a second? But at this point, I'm just like, come in, say hello, because she knows that like yeah. you're talking to people, and those are my daddy's friends. And so I've learned to embrace that, and I encourage people to create environments where that can be welcomed and embraced, because we are working from home. But again, lower that waterline, use the resources available to you from your organization, the employee assistance program, counseling, uh, meditate, mindfulness. And one thing I've noticed recently is that I've started having this own internal dialogue of that I've reached my word count for the day. And I just have to like, I have to stop. I have to do that, like this internal moment. And it came like a two weeks ago. And I was like, I'm just, I've reached my word max for today. Like there's nothing else I need to say yeah. because I have been going, going, going from Zoom meeting to Zoom meeting that I haven't had a chance to sort of self-reflect and process what all has happened throughout this day. Uh, so I encourage everyone to carve out those times where you can process, self-reflect. One thing that I do is I block out time on my calendar where I'm not having a Zoom meeting or I'm not doing calls or I'm not doing interviews because I have to secure my oxygen mask. I got to make yeah. sure that I take that breather so that I can reflect and be strategic in my next step. Because if I'm constantly reacting, I'm not being proactive. I found over the last year, too, I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but I think in some ways I've become a better listener. And I've realized and you see the positive impact of that. Not that I wasn't a good listener before, but I've, I've realized with my staff too, is that as we're talking through things that, you know, maybe when we were face-to-face -face or maybe in other environments, there was just a, the constant banter and somebody maybe would be left out a little bit of that. And you start to identify that sometimes when you see everybody on the screen. And like you said, John, you can sometimes see that somebody's off a little bit. You can kind of notice those things a little bit. You can kind of direct a question towards somebody and sit back and listen a little bit. I think I've noticed more in the last year that, People wanted to feel listened to. They wanted to be heard. And I've noticed that with my kids even, that if I take the time to just sit and listen and get away from everything else and focus on them for a minute, you see their whole mood change from that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's just that little extra effort to listen. And I'll tell you one thing I'll tell leaders, we have to be vulnerable ourselves. Oh, yeah. We have to show people how to lead and we have to do it out front. We have to do it vulnerable. So i never forget over the pandemic, I just, we were on a department call and it's like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing good today. It's just simple as that. And there was a sense of care for my team that really lifted my spirits in that moment. Uh, but you then recognize that your, your, your work becomes your family too. You know, sometimes you spend a lot of hours with this group of people that's sort of separate from your personal family. But in that, being vulnerable as a leader allows your team to be vulnerable as a leader, uh, as, as your colleagues and the people that support you. But in that, I'm able to, again, meet them where they are. Because it's nothing for me to say, hey, it's been a tough week. And now that we've connected, I know, take take the rest of the afternoon off. What else is priority for today? Can we knock these out? Or can you, hey, let me take this out. I can send these awful letters. I haven't done it in a while, but I can send these awful letters. You take the afternoon off because I'd rather you get re-energized, recharged, so we can start the next day productive and on the same page. And so it's, it's just, it's about the grace and being vulnerable. And I think sometimes we have leaders who are afraid to be vulnerable uh, simply because that's how they've been shown to do things. And then we have this younger generation who is digital, they're digital natives. So they they know all about how to edit, retouch, re-record. But in the real world, you have one shot. And so I want to encourage them to make sure that they understand it's okay to fail, you know, fail forward, fail fast, get back up. Uh, but in that, make sure they understand that everything you can't edit. So sometimes you have to be ready to just go. 
um, and, and not strive for that perfection that you get in the digital landscape. It's so true. Callie, DE&I is having a very well-deserved spotlight right now. But I'll admit, as somebody who's been an observer of a lot of the conversation that's been going on and understanding the importance of it for sure, a lot of times it feels like PR talk or it feels like checking boxes or it feels like, as I heard one person say, quota hunting to look good for the the company picture. Um, You know, we hired a DE&I executive, check the box, problem solved, let's move on. And it seems like we need more teeth more more grit to it. Um, I really hope, and I've hoped, that the spotlight will lead to new policies and procedures and ways of doing business rather than just saying, well, we're having a conversation, you know? Um, I interviewed Scott O'Neill, who's the CEO of the Sixers and the Devils recently, a few, week back, a few weeks back, and he's very passionate about diversity hiring as well. And he set a policy that they enacted. He talked about part of their process for every job opening was that at Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment was that 50% of the finalists have to be minority candidates. What do you think of policies like this? Does this help address it in a really good, effective way? Is this well-intentioned but off the mark? Like, where do we go from here to continue this conversation going forward in a really tangible, process-oriented, change kind of way? It's a big question, I know. It is. It certainly (laughs) is. But one of the first things it makes me think about is is DE&I is not something that needs to be fixed. And there is a tendency to have an ill or an issue and let's fix it. It's a lifestyle. It's a commitment. And that's not anything that you can put a, a title on and you hire a senior director, a director of DNI. Who do they report to? Mm-hmm. Do they have a budget? Are they able to set their own goals or are they being fed a policy or a quota um, by a CEO who might not fully understand the landscape? So I explained to people about DE&I is, you know, you have visual representation. And that's what last summer started the conversation about visual representation. But the minute you get that, like on this call, you could say, oh, this is a diverse group of people. But we're missing several different angles once you cross that, once you check the box of visual representation. um, What about education? What about prior experiences? What about family experiences? What about veteran status? There's so many other things. So even once you finish with one piece of it, the body of work, and then let's talk about equity, which is a whole nother side of the conversation. So if you're looking to fix DE&I, I would say you're off mark right there. I think the the, the organizations and the people who realize this started a dialogue, Mm -hmm. those are the people who, to me, had the first clue. Now, you can't just talk about it either. Acknowledging that the conversation needs to happen is important. Having the conversation is important, but then some action items. So when he says 50% of the finalists have to be minority candidates, what does that mean? Because what's going to happen for those who don't truly understand DE&I and that it's not to be fixed is they're just going to work towards 50%. They might all still be 50% of the same. They might not have a variation in background, experiences, thought. So the 50% still isn't going to get him the result he wants. Then you might have a, it happened when I was in a technology company. We had diversity and it was all from one region of the globe. So when you start to peel back the layers, the DE&I still wasn't there, even though the visual representation was there. So I think that the intent is positive. I am one who believes that it's okay to say, I want to hire a minority female in, in our in, on our executive leadership team. Make that commitment and then go find that person. Because mm-hmm. the notion that they're not out there, that's when, I, that's when I'll call BS on you. Mm-hmm. The notion that the, you can't find what you're looking for means that either your 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 net isn't wide enough or you're fishing in the same pond. And John and I both know that from the sports and entertainment world. There was a lack of diversity in general because you kept trying to find people who had previous sports experience. Mm-hmm. I didn't come from the sports world. I came from technology retail. So the minute you took down some of those barriers of access, it let some others in. And that's kind of the thought about DEI's. Think about instead of bringing people in, what are you doing to keep people out mm-hmm. and, and removing those fences? Or maybe you don't remove them, but you set up accessibility steps to kind of level mm-hmm. the playing field. So, again, I think it's OK to acknowledge what you need. 
But I don't think setting specific, I always hesitate with the 50%, 60%. The only time I use that is when, when you're talking about, you know, you, you want to get to a goal and you want to hire 100% of your staff. But what they look like is what mm-hmm. this number turns into, minorities. So a lot of people are going to interpret that as people of color. I've been in an organization where there are no veterans. I've got 250 people and no veterans. That's not appropriate either. Right. <laughs> so to me, it, it just if you if you try to oversimplify any aspect of DEI, you're causing more harm than good. So even the notion of the policies and procedures, it's not, again, it's not putting policies and procedures in place. It's removing barriers. It's not looking at college education and who got in. Like I was talking to the CEO of my current company and he's like, I don't even look at colleges because that's about a a school counselor who they chose to let in. I'm not going to let them decide who's going to be successful in my organization. Mm -hmm. doesn't matter if you went to Princeton or if you went to Spelman College. Mm -hmm. There is a commitment to education. You, You followed through. Hopefully you learned something along the way. Most of us aren't working in our fields of major in the first place. So it's removing those barriers of access that I think is the most important part when the notion of policies and procedures is presented. Like, let's figure out why are we only using teamwork online to access our candidates? If you look around the room, it's, I said this to my senior leadership team at a previous job. You go on my LinkedIn page and I see a lot of people in, of color who have been promoted and are in senior mm-hmm. leadership roles. So I I said that if I look on my page because I have friends that typically look like me and have similar backgrounds as myself, my network isn't the most diverse either. But I could offer my network and that's where we have to all contribute. We can all do small things to move the needle, but to to assume that we're going to do anything to fix it, it's a waste of time. So Callie, in uh, response to that, I agree with some of that, and then I, I sort of have a different perspective on some of that. Um, I definitely believe that we can, it's not something that's fixed. Diversity, equity, inclusion is a journey. And my biggest goal is to meet people where they are on that journey. I think the biggest tool that most diversity, equity, inclusion professionals need uh, understand is that there's going to be resistance. And what does that resistance look like? But how do I manage that resistance in a way that we can still continue to have an effective dialogue? Because if I'm trying to push something too hard on someone who's at the start of that journey, they're just going to shut down and they're not hearing anything else I have to say. So I have, you have to figure out how do you strike that balance? And the other thing I want to make sure that people understand, just because you have uh, minority representation in your organization does not make them the expert. I want to be very clear in that. They're, you know, I don't want to be your chief black officer. I am John Ferguson. I have my MBA. I have attended Georgetown's Diversity and Inclusion Executive Certification Program. I have been trained in this space to do this work. And I think there's an undue burden that I'm starting to see when you look at our employee resource groups for them to now be doing what I would consider a second job to serve the organization. Uh, So be mindful of that. And when we look at uh, the big thing that comes down for me is commitment versus engagement. Callie touched on uh, where does that DEI role reporting to the organization? If they're not yeah. reporting to the top of the organization, then I would say that's commitment per se. It's not necessarily thorough engagement because engagement is where it is now baked into our business strategy. Now, when we look at sort of the 50 percent uh, number that that was shared I've done some research. Harvard Business Review has a very good article that came out and it talked about if you're if you have four slate, four finalists and they are, we're just going to say four men. And I bring in one woman like her percentage, her chance of getting the opportunity is not going to work because she's othered. But if you increase it to 50, the opportunity for greater diversity goes up. And so then you say invite my offer my network. So my thing is we have to start somewhere because, again, this is the journey. So if we start with that rule, then we start to see greater representation in the room. Now, guess who's offering their network? Brian and Callie are offering their network. So now I'm getting more veterans into the room because my mother-in-law is a retired military uh, Mm -hmm. person. So so with that, now I'm bringing in my network. She's introducing me to her colleagues, et cetera. So we have to start somewhere. And I think depending on where your organization is, Sometimes that 50% thing just allows them to see there is greater talent here. What I want to encourage everyone to do is make sure they're pausing for inclusion. Because what I'm seeing recently that 
uh, I have to figure, keep getting creative ways to go into it. It's like I'll share some candid profiles that maybe I have sourced. And I'm like, hey, these are some good people. Well, they don't have, you know, one year of experience in sales, but they have 11 months. Like, let's have the conversation. There's there, some people are very quick to cut it at this 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 made up line. That's some very, arbitrary number. Yes, yeah. let's let's be very clear. So my thing is, let's have the conversation because again, I want us to lower the water line. I want to see their passion. I want to see their attitude. And passion and attitude, unfortunately, don't show up on the resume. Like I don't get that on the resume. So I have to engage in a dialogue with you to further understand that. So I think there's pros and cons to it all, but I definitely think it's a journey, and I want people to understand that this is a journey. We're all going to start at different places and we're going to travel through that journey at different times. But I want you to always remain open to the conversation. And I also encourage everyone, what privilege do you bring to that situation? And I want you to make sure who can I speak up for, be an ally to, speak up on their behalf. I saw a recent sort of visual on social media talked about helping people understand privilege. And they said it's not that someone gave you this bonus. It's not that someone gave you this leg up per se they talked about it's the obstacles that you don't have to face and so because you know sometimes they're like well no one gave me a handout no someone didn't but the Mm -hmm. the person opposite of you had to go through five different doors and you walk through one right and so it's just understanding that like getting to that point people had to go through different things it's not that someone automatically gave you something because of x y and z it's just the barriers that you did not have to face to get to X, Y, and Z. So I think we have to be mindful of all of that and keep it front of mind. And so then it goes back to emotional intelligence. Read the room, understand your people, invite different perspectives into the conversation. Because when we do that, we're getting greater diversity of thought. And so to Callie's point, I'm gonna say, well, hey, you know what I realized? I'm here and I don't see any veterans, but I gotta start somewhere. And if I don't start sometimes with just the visual, then I'm not able to get even non-visual diversity into the workplace because my family makeup is gonna be different from everyone else on this call. So with that, I'm going to be advocating for someone that you didn't even know existed. There's so much nuance to this conversation. I love it. I love how it all ties back into like, we talked about the journey. We talked about meeting people where they are. We talked about how important it is to try things, John, to use your words, you know? And and so as we go through this journey of D&I and trying to understand it and give it a spotlight, you know, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of missteps. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of failed policies, but it's nice to know we're talking about it. We're having the conversation. We're exploring different avenues and that hopefully we can continue to, to make some progress. So I think that's the ultimate ultimate goal. But I love so much of what you guys have shared today. I'm in awe again. I knew from knowing each of you individually that if we could continue this conversation, we'd go a lot longer than we had originally planned. I said, hey guys, can you give me like a half an hour afterwards? And we're like 50 minutes in, still going. I love this. So thank you guys so much for being a part of this conversation and for continuing it. And I get smarter every time that I get to be around you both. So um, thank you for coming on today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you so much. And and, and for allowing me to meet Callie. This is good. So I, we will be in touch. We will. I enjoyed this. Yes. Great interview. New friends. I knew it would happen. All right. <laughs> great stuff. Thanks, everyone. I think you can understand after listening to John and Callie on the show together why I respect both of them so much. I mean, they are fearless. They are opinionated and they they just dive into these concepts. They have so much passion for the industry and for improving and making things better. And they're constantly in a state of like, what else can we be doing? How else can we grow our culture? How else can we bring in new talent? And I think the information they share is so valuable to all of you listening. I'm so appreciative of them for coming on the show and for doing as much as they did for our content, our programming, our job recovery summit that we ran at Hashtag. I mean, they're just amazing people that I'm glad that I get a chance to know. I will tell you, all of you out there listening, that is your in. Reach out to them on LinkedIn and say, hey, I heard you on the Work and Sports podcast. Would love to connect with you and keep learning more. Now you're connected to them. Leverage the knowledge you get from this show. Start a conversation. Ask follow-up questions. Engage. Be smart. Be a thought leader. It can be a great way to get to know powerful people in the industry like John and Callie. Thanks for listening, everybody. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe wherever you listen. All that's super important as we try to continue growing. We're approaching 400 episodes. Can you believe that? Man, it's amazing. Thank you all so much. And I'll talk to you all next week.